Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Philip Ellis, and you're listening to Tall Tales, the weekly showcase of the very best fiction that Birmingham has to offer. Are you the type of person to just say yes? to throw caution to the wind, follow your impulses, and give in to temptation. If so, listen closely. We have just the fairy tale for you. This is The Red Door by A.A. Abbott. Katie's alarm clock wailed like a cat in a corner. She stretched and yawned, hitting Dan's nose. Sorry, she said. I've got an early meeting, so you'll have to be out of the flat quickly. I'll get a coffee in the village, he said. He meant the crossroads a few minutes' walk away, which everyone called the village, although it was part of Britain's second largest city. He didn't have to work today, so he might as well wait until the rush hour abated. Really, she could have let him stay in her flat after she left. She trusted him enough to make meaningful noises about taking their relationship to the next level. This must involve putting a ring on her finger or at least living together. It wasn't worth hanging around. Katie would only have decaffeinated coffee and indigestible vegan food in her kitchen. He needed more than that after their crazy night out. Kissing her lips lightly, he pulled on his clothes and staggered out into the dark morning. In the depths of February, it was still black as night, the road illuminated mainly by the taillights of queuing traffic. Dan was about to order a bacon sandwich and a mega-sized latte full fat when he realised his wallet and phone were missing. He must have left them behind at Katie's flat. Feeling his pockets, he noted they were completely empty. No loose change, house keys or bus pass. His only option was to run back. He prayed she hadn't left yet. Yesterday's snow had turned to slush and ice. He slipped and slid in his rush, barely noticing the church on the left and straggling row of shops on the right, the last outpost of commerce in the village before it became sedately residential. Snow began to fall again, eddying in the driver's headlights, adding a cloak of fairy dust to the tall trees and gracious gardens. This really was a beautiful area. He'd felt its enchantment last night, half out of his head on what he was assured were dried magic mushrooms. Eyes locked on the full moon, he'd imagined werewolves creeping across the then-fresh snow through gothic gates to the darkened dwellings. Looming behind ancient trees, the houses were magnificent, half-timbered confections, gabled and turreted like castles built from giant licorice all sorts. Of course, they're all divided into apartments, often ten or more in one building. Katie's was one of these, the thirteenth flat in the only house with a red door. For that reason, he was confident he'd find it quickly, even though few roadside numbers were on display and thick flurries of snow were obscuring his vision. At last, 
It appeared like a beacon before him, and he dashed to the security offered by the arched porch. He looked for Katie's doorbell. There it was, the highest in a column of neatly numbered buzzers, each illuminated with space for text to the right. Dan was about to press it when he saw the text no longer bore the name Katie Marchant. Flat 13, where the women are sexy and the men are dangerous, he read aloud. Katie must assume he'd be moving in. Despite being peeved she was taking him for granted, he chuckled, proud to be thought dangerous. He rang the bell. Hello? There was crackly interference on the intercom. Katie's voice was indistinct. It's dangerous, Dan, he said. Come right on up. She buzzed him through the front door. The blizzard was obviously playing havoc with the electricity. The bulbs on each landing barely flickered, casting more shadow than light. He arrived at the top floor by feeling his way up the stairs. It wasn't Katie who waited for him, but a much curvier girl, standing in the doorway to the flat with a halo of light behind her. Hair artfully arranged in dark pin curls, an exaggerated red cupid's bow, a polka dot dress. She seemed unreal, a cartoon character come to life. Dangerous Dan, huh? She drawled. That's me, Dan said, sufficiently intrigued to play along. I'm Sophie. Come in. He'd been wondering why she was there, why Katie was so quiet, and he knew as soon as he followed her into the dimly lit lounge. He'd never seen its rather kitsch decor before. The table with the red check cloth, the two brown easy chairs, the spiky wall clock, the fish tank. I've come to the wrong place. He couldn't understand it. No other property around here had a red door. He'd walked the length of the street often enough to know. He had to leave before Katie finished showering and primping herself in the bathroom and choosing her outfit, before she flew out of her flat in a tearing hurry for the bus and his wallet was lost to him for a day. Sophie said, as if reading his thoughts, Wrong and right is just a state of mind. Have a coffee with me. You can stay all day if you want. Dan shrugged his shoulders. Sure, why not? He could ring Katie at work after a meeting... She was bound to be free at lunchtime. She could return then. He didn't really fancy waiting until evening, feeling obliged to spend another night with her. He found himself thinking he needed their relationship to cool a little. Sophie busied herself with a chrome contraption that hissed, steamed and whistled as it produced coffee. Dan sat at the table on one of a half-dozen spindly chairs. He had to admit that Sophie had done the whole retro look rather well. The only jarring note was a huge piece of hardboard propped against the wall, the life-size outline of a man traced on it in thick black ink. Sophie noticed him staring at it. It's my friend's, she said, by way of explanation, adding, he's away right now. Here's your coffee. It was deliciously creamy and strong. Dan sipped it gratefully allowing the warmth to remove the wet chill from his bones. So tell me about yourself, Sophie said. Dan almost gave her his life story as he drank first one cup, then another. He told her how he'd arrived in the city as a postgraduate student. He spent a lot of time alone reading archived material, except when he saw Katie. They'd met on his first day in town. I'm splitting up with her, 
he said with conviction, emboldened by Sophie's interested expression. Uh-huh, Sophie said. Do you want to call her now? The phone's over there. It was a telephone in the old-fashioned Bakelite style, although a bright bubblegum pink. He called Katie, but he didn't end it. Merely asked if he could see her for lunch. She had a busy day ahead, she said, but once she'd made her irritation known, she grudgingly agreed. She'd be at her flat by 12.30. It's been lovely to meet you, Sophie said, kissing his cheek. Do come round again. Actually, I'm hosting a pop-up supper club next Tuesday night. Please join me. You can bring your girlfriend. She glanced at the fish tank. There was movement within it. Something stirred behind a small rock, peeping out before hiding again. As Dan walked down the curved staircase, better illuminated now grey daylight was streaming through the windows, he shook his head at Sophie's last words. He had no intention of taking Katie to meet her. Outside the red door, he wondered which direction to take, left or right. In the end, he set off in the direction of the village and found Katie's flat two doors away. He must have walked straight past it in the blizzard. She was still cross, saying snippily that he should be better organised. How on earth had he gone to the wrong house? There were no others like it. He apologised profusely, bought her a sad-looking bean sprout salad at a deli in the village, and thought only of Sophie as he offered a parting kiss. The rest of the week passed, and then the weekend. Dan buried himself in books and online research material, telling Katie he was too busy to see her. On Tuesday evening, whistling, he presented himself at the red door. Again, it appeared suddenly. He'd strolled away from the village, and then, without even apparently passing Katie's home, he'd found himself in the right place. In his left hand, he clutched a bottle of Mateus Rosé, he was sure Sophie would approve. As a brand his parents had favoured in their younger days, it would fit Sophie's retro theme. The buzzer sounded as soon as he pressed the bell, and he bounded up three flights of stairs to the attic. Hi! Sophie, in a shiny purple cocktail dress, wound her arms round him and kissed him on the lips. This is my boyfriend, Sid, she announced, pointing to a young man standing by the sink with a small knife. Hello! Sid grinned. Like Sophie, he seemed larger than life. He was wearing a grey waistcoat over a white shirt, unbuttoned at the top so the dark hair on his chest was visible. A curled moustache and trim beard revealed teeth larger, sharper and whiter than Dan might have expected. Dan tried not to show his disappointment. He should have known there was a partner on the scene, should not have fantasised otherwise. Glancing at the couple and their friends, he saw now he was stuck with four hipsters for the evening. He hoped there'd be plenty of booze. Let's open the Mateus, he suggested. Sophie ignored him. I'll introduce you to our other guests, she said, gesturing to the candlelit table. The couple who sat there were a paler imitation of Sophie and Sid, she sporting platinum blonde curls and a sequined shift, he extravagant ginger whiskers in a dark waistcoat. "'Jerry,' the ginger man said. "'And this is Ella. I say, Sid, those G&Ts are taking their time.' 
Sid turned his attention to a lemon, slicing it quickly and thinly, throwing the slices into a large jug full of clear liquid and ice cubes. Coming right at you, he said, splashing the liquid generously into cut crystal glasses. Bottoms up. They all sat round the table. A toast, Sophie declared, to our special guest Dan. Glasses clinked. Dan drained his in one. He started to feel better. I forgot to ask you, Dan, Sophie said, with a frown. You're not vegetarian, are you? Definitely not, Dan replied. Good, Sophie said, because we're having a fish course first. This is an interactive meal, by the way. I didn't tell you about my profession, did I, Dan? No. He remembered that snowy morning when he'd spoken at length about himself and she'd offered nothing in return. I'm a fire-eater, she said. Our first course is... Sid drummed his fingers on the table. Flambéed prawns. Sid took a shiny metal pan from a rack by the sink, reached into the fish tank and scooped out half a dozen or so wriggling prawns. Dropping them into the pan, he poured a small bottle of brandy around them. You can't do that, Dan protested. You're cooking them alive, Sid chortled. We like our food fresh, don't we, Sid? Sophie murmured, embracing Sid's free arm. She pulled away and struck a match, using it to light a long, thin cotton torch which flared into life. Sophie waved it at Sid's pan, causing blue flames to envelop the bouncing prawns. She brought the torch to her red lipsticked mouth. More gin, Dan? Ella asked. Dan nodded. He watched in horrified fascination, torn by the twin spectacles and a sense that the prawn killing was barbaric. His stomach pleaded for food that was sanitised and long dead. Bravo! Jerry exclaimed, clapping his hands as both fires were extinguished. They all clapped hands then, and Dan felt obliged to follow suit, albeit with less vehemence. Sid swirled a pot of cream into the brandy and slid the prawns onto five plates. Enjoy, he urged. There weren't enough prawns for everyone to have two. Dan quickly bagged a plate with a single crustacean. He tried not to gag as he ate it. But it was actually sweet and juicy, Probably the best he'd ever eaten. Perfect, Jerry purred. That was Sophie's party piece, Sid said. And now for mine. Sophie stood in front of the hardboard man shape. Sid picked up the knife he'd been using to slice lemons and threw it at her. It flew past her shoulder and landed on the black outline. Dan could now see the outline was heavily pockmarked with small slits, although, like Sophie, the rest of the hardboard appeared untouched. Sid took another knife from the drawer and another. In all, he threw nine blades, always hitting the black line. Sophie walked away with a modest smile. Bravo! Jerry shouted again. Wonderful! But when are we going to see our next course? Patience, dear friend, Sid said. He removed the knives from the hardboard. You try it, Sophie entreated, looking longingly at Dan. She licked her red lips. Oh, uh, no, he stuttered. 
I couldn't possibly throw those things at you. I mean, I've, I've got no idea, Sid interrupted. No, Dan, you stand there and I'll throw the knives. Please, Sophie said. Ella and Jerry gazed at him. They looked hungry. It would not do to have an argument, to delay their meal. What harm could possibly happen? Sid obviously knew what he was doing. All right, Dan said. Bravo, Jerry cried once more. Sid picked up a knife. In the candlelight, his incisors gleamed, long and sharp like the blade. That was The Red Door. You can follow A.A. Abbott on Twitter at A.A. Abbott Stories. The Red Door was read by Jacob Lovick. Tall Tales is produced and edited by Aidan Meyer. Our deliciously creepy theme music is by a local outfit called Swamp Thing. You can listen to more of their work at swoompthing.com. That's Swamp Thing with two O's and two E's. All of the stories featured on the show so far can be found to read at brumradio.com and you can listen on catch-up at mixcloud.com forward slash brumradio. If you're interested in having your work included in the show, send an email to stories at brumradio.com. I've been your host, Philip Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at philip underscore ellis. Tune in next week when we'll be taking another trip into the past. You're listening to Brum Radio. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.